Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And welcome to Imagine This. I'm Brashina. I'm Trent. And I'm Mackenzie. Uh, and today we're talking about Shakespeare adaptations and interpretations again. Welcome Whoop back. Whoop. <laughs> Part deux, if you, if you will. Uh, Part deux? You know, French. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know if you know this, Brashina, but Shakespeare was English. Wow, that's crazy. Um, I'm and learning so much already. You're just best friends. <laughs> um, but to, we actually wanted to use this episode to talk in depth about some of our favorite adaptations and interpretations of Shakespeare that we've seen. Um, and also how adaptations and interpretations can further the conversations around Shakespeare um, and his uh, contributions to history. So who wants to kick us off? I, I know the adaptations I want to talk about because they were formative to me as a young child. Well, then just so. kick us off with one of those. <laughs> Thank you, Trent. Um, <laughs> so one of my, the first adaptation of Shakespeare that I can remember seeing um, is O. Um, starring with Kai Pfeiffer, and of course I don't remember who the director is at, at this point in time, but um, I remember seeing this. I was probably a little too young to see it <laughs> when I saw it on TV, um, but it was one of those things that like it came on on late night, and I was like, what is this? Um, and so it tells the story of Othello, but it's set in high school, and it's during the 90s, so it's set in this like sort of inner city high school where there's this one black teenager who is on the, f the basketball team and he's the star basketball player and it takes us through his life and he has uh, his girlfriend at the time I think is played by um, what's her name Julia Stiles from um, uh, you're asking from, like, the wrong person a bunch of the 90s movies um, I think it's her who's in the film I can't remember but um Mackay Pfeiffer is our is playing Othello, and they call him O in in this adaptation, and so it literally like takes you through all of Shakespeare, but it was in completely modern 
language for the 90s so like 90s slang was in there it was set in a high school with teenagers so it was very relatable even though i was like probably like eight or nine at the time (laughs) i probably should not have been watching this movie um but uh it was very relatable to me because i was like oh they're like kids like me um and it's such a beautiful adaptation i probably need to revisit it and see like how it stacks up now but I rem- that was one of the first adaptations that I remember seeing that like got me interested in Shakespeare because I kind of knew what Othello was about. Othello is one of my mom's favorite stories. And so she'd kind of told us what it was about. And we had some Shakespeare adaptations for kids at our house. Um, but I remembered seeing that and being like, wow, this is very interesting. And then when I got older, I actually like read the description of it I found it and I was like oh my gosh this makes so much sense like you know then all of these things started replaying in my brain and it left a lasting impression Mm -hmm. on me I don't know that I would have gotten into Shakespeare as much as I did if I hadn't seen such a cool interpretate like such a cool adaptation of it that made it relevant to me and I I am so glad we started here because I feel like an adaptation of Othello is like jumping into the deep end of Shakespeare. Um, because Othello is perhaps the most talked about in terms of whether it's like problematic mm-hmm. or not. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And so it's really interesting to me that the translation of Othello, which is in the well, let me preface it with this. The issue that people have with Othello is this trope of like the crazy black man, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And so by translating the story of Othello into an American high school where he's still the only black man mm-hmm. and probably still kind of falls into the trope of crazy black man in an unfortunate way, mm-hmm. it's it feels real and relatable in a different way than it would be an original practice, right? Because now you have these added layers of American racism that wouldn't be present in an English production, right? And you found it relatable, right? And I, I think that that's what's so interesting is when you adapt, it's the same story, but it's also a new story because now it's not about a black general. It's about a black basketball player teen trying to navigate puberty Mm -hmm. and yet it still works it just relates to different people and delivers the same message and contains the same problems Mm -hmm. right but in a way that frames the discussion differently which I think is what an adaptation should do I think so I also what I find with adaptations is how I think the story works. Like I, if I see a bad adaptation, I'm like, oh, that didn't work. And normally I can be like, this is probably why. Um, when I see good adaptations, I'm always like, why did that work so well? Yes. And then I explore it and I'm like, okay, this is why it worked. Um, and it, it brought me to a conclusion that one of the reasons I think Othello, like original practice performances fall flat is because we miss the element of everyone, especially Iago, driving Othello crazy. Mm. Like that's the point of Iago. He doesn't like him. He's yeah. try- like he is gaslighting him. He is straight out lying to him. He is doing everything in his power 
to make him crazy. Like he's, so I think that's something that we miss with a lot of these like flat productions of Othello is that like Iago just comes off as like, "Mm, I just don't like him. And you can't like, uh, Iago cannot be that type of villain. Mm -hmm. He's got to be evil. (laughs) Yeah. Well, he's an antagonizer. It's not passive villainy. No, it is. He is 100% in Othello's ear all the time, every day, trying to drive him to insanity and make him the exact monster he needs him to be. And that's why O worked so well was because there were a lot of like external factors that were driving O crazy like they were driving him to this point of madness to believing that his girlfriend was lying to him and cheating on him and that also nobody in the school really believed in him and that that he was going to fail and that if he if he failed then this was going to happen and this was going to happen to where it just became too much and he lashed out like I think yeah and I think that's the brilliance of setting it in a high school Mm -hmm. is not only do you have these social pressures and racism hello that's enough to drive anyone insane Mm -hmm. sexism racism all of the isms homophobia you know hello america's great but in a high school you also have just these pressures of your own personhood Mm -hmm. that you're trying to figure all this stuff out and you're so impressionable right Mm -hmm. and like and i think anyway i love the concept of the of this adaptation the idea of a high school student being Othello because I think that it is the perfect vehicle to really highlight exactly what you're describing with the story it was great and I I I saw later in while I was in college um one of the graduate students did a scene of Othello and he took it even further where I think it was an interpretation of this scene, but it actually could have been a really interesting adaptation and still could be, um, is that he took it to the point where Iago wasn't actually a real person. It was Othello's inner thoughts. Mm. And so it was the scene where he kills Desdemona. And Oof. so, it, yeah. <laughs> it's like, wow, what a scene. Um, but it he had Iago, like, dressed as if he were one of the troops that died when Othello was in battle. Yeah. So like he had this like very pale makeup on um, to where he looked very ghostly and Othello and like he would, they dimmed the lights around the stage area. So Iago would literally like pop in and out of shadow, which was very cool and very interesting. And it just added to Othello, like hearing something in his ear, turning around and it's gone obsessed so like it was it was so interesting and like it was it was modern so like Othello had on like dog tags and was drinking out of a you know mm-hmm. like out of a, a bottle and it just it, I was like holy crap it's like, like PTSD it's, just yeah on. literally yeah. It, and it made so much sense I was like this could be a really interesting adaptation of Othello to like think about what are the external factors that make him feel crazy. Like, Sorry, everyone. Yeah. Be right back. Brashina has to go write a full adaptation today. <laughs> give me, give me two, give me two weeks. <laughs> okay. You heard it. Two weeks and it's done. Um, Mackenzie, I want to turn to you who has seen how many productions casually just at the globe this year alone. 
I'm sorry, they're eating my tuition money. <laughs> <laughs> but also, like, worth it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, I've seen, I've seen a lot of, I've seen a lot of stuff. Um, some of them, I don't. Okay, I haven't seen like a full. Oh, I have seen an adaptation, Del McKenzie. Um, okay, so I have, a, I have a clear adaptation example, and I have a clear interpretation example. Let's do it. Um. I've talked. I, I might have talked about this adaptation on here before, but I saw an adaptation of Henry VIII, um, or All Is True, um, which is not my favorite Shakespeare play. But um, it was it was an, it was adapted, and it became like the most brilliant piece of feminist theater that I have like ever seen. Um, and In it context, just, like, I don't this like is Henry not VIII. a feminist play. No, like even <laughs> no, a little bit. So not at all so misogynistic it's it's horrible like him as a person and as a play like i I don't love this play and i don't love henry VIII. um he might be my mortal enemy anyways um this play was so like inherently feminist and like it painted henry as like the absolute man child that he is was um and it just it utilized like a beautiful blending of music and just women on stage and using like the the space that is the globe like the yard and like all of the the boxes and stuff and just like the way that the space was used and the way that they like added like levity but it wasn't like it was it was very it was very like this isn't funny but like we're gonna drop like blue balloons down on stage and pink balloons down on stage to be like a gender reveal but then henry's gonna go crazy and like pop all the pink balloons because he wants a son and then we're gonna have like a very abstract like party scene with things that I will not mention on the podcast. It was highly inappropriate, but um, it, it ended up being this, like, I, like, I will have the original song like stuck in my head for the rest of my life um, called we women. Um, And just the way that like the women like accompany themselves and the way that they just like, took over the stage at the end, I think will always be one of the most powerful stage pictures in my brain for the rest of my life. And I hate Henry VIII as a play. So I thought that that was particularly interesting. It was also particularly interesting because like the play, if you haven't read it, ends with like the birth of Elizabeth the first. And this play, this adaptation was written around the time of um, Queen Elizabeth II's Platinum Jubilee. However, it closed after Queen Elizabeth II passed and I saw it after she passed. And so it took on an entirely like different connotation because of that um, and because of like speeches that were added. They added a speech at the end that was delivered by Elizabeth I. Um, and it was, it was, it was quite impactful um, to see the women in Henry's life taking back the power. It was kind of like six, but like, I don't know. I feel like it was a little bit more effective than six um because six kind of plays into some stereotypes anywho um that's that <laughs> well it's contextualized that. right six mm-hmm. is like women plucked out of history taken out of context and i love six but i don't mm-hmm. think that six is trying to do the same thing mm-hmm. right it's intended to be yeah. fun and they play into stereotype on purpose they almost they flaunt it in mm-hmm. fact they flaunt the stereotypes mm-hmm. um and yeah. because it's I think it's more about like these women saying we can be who we are and it doesn't matter if it's a stereotype like it's still our story 
why are we only seen through the lens of Henry VIII, right? Mm -hmm. It's like a somewhat more simple message than what you're describing because these women are contextualized in Henry's story and you literally see them then overtake the story of the play that is his namesake, right? So I think contextually there's just more ground for these women to cover in Henry VIII. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I... It just, it sounds beautiful. I love the image of the balloon popping. You know, you Mm -hmm. talked about them depicting him as a man child, but then like seeing, and then picturing him popping these balloons because he's not getting his way Mm -hmm. just really fits into that. And yet it is not so out of the realm of imagination of seeing someone actually do that in real life. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. So that's a really, I love that. And it, and the power of an adaptation is that you can hate the play Henry VIII and love this adaptation of Henry VIII. I, I was weeping. I was truly weeping in the yard of the globe. I love I love productions like that. It just they yeah. make you feel such emotion. Like sometimes you're not even crying because it's sad. You're crying because like this was so good. Like it's beautiful. <laughs> yeah. Me uh, watching Moana. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I would love to hear your interpretation example, Mackenzie. Oh my gosh. Okay. Yes. So um, the same Wanamaker Playhouse attached to the globe just did a production of Henry V. And so, oh, this is going to be so controversial. Henry V is traditionally a highly nationalist English play. It's once more under the breach. We band of brothers, St. Crispin's Day feast. It's like this very nationalistic play. And Henry V is seen as this hero of England. He is like the ultimate hero figure for England. Um, this, This interpretation of it flipped that entirely on its head. And it became a commentary on... British nationalism and colonial colonialism and imperialization and it made Henry I'm honestly gonna say they made him into a bit of a Hamlet character he became very internalized very nuanced and not a good person he was highly manipulative not a very moral upstanding man he was threatening people left and right once more into the breach became this very self-reflective like he spoke it into like the mirrors that were like the back of the set. He like spoke it to himself and it became like this like internalized thing versus like a war cry. Um, and he, it just did not paint him as a very good person, especially in the scene where he is um, intimidating the, the 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 governor of the town in France, I forget the name of the town, but also especially, especially in the very end during the courting scene with Catherine of France, um, which is traditionally played as oh ha 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 do you want to marry me like you're pretty you're really pretty can we kiss like Mm -hmm. ha ha like oh this is a great alliance i'm bashful um this scene in fact has been pointed to as like a really good like romance scene yeah um it was not um because the woman playing catherine she looked like a minor she was not a minor but she looked like a minor and henry was this very encroaching like gross character and he was definitely like was like forcing her to kiss him and like was forcing this manipulation and then what they did and then what they did because there's two scenes with Catherine in this play traditionally we have that scene at the end and then there's a scene earlier on that usually gets cut but 
I thought they cut this time, but then they put the scene right after like Henry exits and it's left with Catherine on stage. And it's usually not her mother. It's usually her maid, but it was her mother this time. And in the scene, Catherine is learning English and her, her nurse is like teaching her English. And it's like this cute thing teaching about like the fingers and the arms and the wrists and the feet. And it's just like this like English lesson. However, it became, because the end of seeing Catherine is being sent off to England to marry Henry. And this scene became desperately desperately she is begging her mother to teach her english before she gets sent away to this other country then her mother leaves and then she's left on stage and out walks a man in an immigration lanyard and starts giving her an the british immigration test oh. granted it's not the it's not the actual test it is it is questions that are meant for satirical purposes like they're like oh which quote is a shakespeare quote and but then like it, it was like very nationalist it mm -hmm. was mm. and i'm sitting i'm not i'm not from england i'm american um but i'm over here and i'm dealing with issues about my visa and about staying on my graduate visa and immigration i'm dealing with immigration currently and i know that i am quite privileged in this field I, i'm born an english speaker i'm born american i'm very privileged in this um but it's still a real issue and i'm surrounded by all these people who are british and they are laughing thinking this is the funniest thing that they have ever witnessed Whoa. and i am just sitting here going this isn't funny. This is like, this is devastating. This is not funny. This poor girl mm -hmm. doesn't understand what's going on, has to go through this, like it's being like put through this immigration system. Oof. It was like sickening. And I'm just watching everybody like cackling around me. And it was, it was, mm-hmm. Mm it was, yeah. I And I personally, I loved, 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 loved this interpretation of Henry V because I thought that it was incredibly poignant. And I don't think that we're in a place anymore where we need to be, we need to be celebrating mm -hmm. English nationalism as much as when this play was written, because there it's it's a, it's a very complicated and problematic history, and I don't think we're in the place anymore in the twenty first century to be glorifying mm -hmm. some of these events and some of this culture. Yeah. Um, so that was very eye opening and poignant for me. I'm gonna get off my soapbox now. No, I love your soapbox. I love it. It's great. I think it's very interesting that the two, like two, my least favorite of Shakespeare's genre are the history plays. If ever somebody's like, come read Henry VIII with me, I'm like, please just kill me now. Like I, I can't <laughs> do it. <laughs> the histories are my least favorite of his works, but I think it's very interesting that they've been reinterpreted because the histories were the ones that like, for those of y'all that are not super familiar, Shakespeare had to have, patron or patrons people who like commissioned his work and so like a lot of people commissioned the histories because like they wanted to curry favor with the king or somebody in the court at the time and so like that's why they're written the way that they are but we don't have very much evidence that like Shakespeare was actually like super for the royals so like <laughs> he made fun of them in other plays and in other instances so it's very much like these were written to like, this is what I have to do to make money and I've done it. Thank you very much. So I think it's very interesting that like his histories were adapted to now reflect our history, like our reflection of history. I think that's very interesting. Mm -hmm. I love that they did that. That's so cool. Yeah. And the I, I just, I love the potential of the history plays. Mm -hmm. um, I'm, a, I'm a history nerd. And so I love the history plays. I am a tragedies girl, but I love the history plays because of the potential they possess for adaptations. Also the tragedies. Come on, girl. I'm dramatic. <laughs> Rashina. Have you we met know her? I have. Um, 
I, I so the ending I think it's really interesting. You know, you said that it's it was intended to be satirical. And so I want to point out that I think that it was highly effective mm. because everyone was laughing, mm-hmm. even though they probably shouldn't yeah. have been, <laughs> right? Yeah. And I that's one of my favorite things in theater is when people react to something in a way that you intend them to, but that they shouldn't, mm-hmm. right? We had a whole episode about the Thanksgiving play, mm-hmm. and it's a similar in that way right there are things in that play that you laugh at and then you're like oh mm-hmm. I, ooh, am I a bad person because I laughed <laughs> right yes. and I you know and I don't know that everyone had that thought afterward but I bet some of them did right yeah. because that's kind of the beauty of satires it kind of sinks in later as you're thinking about the production and you're like oh and then you get to the end and you're like oh and that was so f- funny <laughs> you're like oh no yeah. right but I uh, and I love the scene being at the end. That tracks so beautifully for mm-hmm. me. Um, and I yeah, love it, that it was, you was, use this example because even though they like shifted a scene, we would still place this in the land of interpretation as mm-hmm. opposed to adaptation right. because mm-hmm. we're not significantly altering the text. We're just reimagining the world of the play, the way that the characters are interacting with each other. And suddenly it's a new message that's being conveyed, mm-hmm. even though it's the same play. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love that. I love that so much. I love good interpretations and adaptations of Shakespeare. I really do. It's the bad ones. I think we also have to like talk about the bad ones because we've yeah. all seen terrible ones. <laughs> yeah. And Shakespeare can be not just like like I think when we talk about bad adaptations and interpretations, we think mostly about it being boring. Mm-hmm. But some of those can actually actually cause harm to communities and to people that are on the stage doing these things so like bad interpretations of Shakespeare can be real can be really bad yeah well and in the same way that we talk about contemporary plays and having to be really mindful about the stories that you're telling and who is telling them Mm -hmm. you're not exempt from those conversations just because you're adapting an older work Mm -hmm. right so yes William Shakespeare wrote this play but if you're adapting it or interpreting it in a way where the voice is now something other than this white man's Mm -hmm. then you now have to be considering who is telling the story? Who is on the creative team? Who is on stage? Mm-hmm. Whose voice is being heard and whose voice needs to be heard yeah. in order for this to go well, mm-hmm. right? You have to take all the same considerations as when you're doing contemporary work once you bring Shakespeare into a contemporary space. That's true.
of, and this is going to be a little bit of controversy, but uh, West Side Story <laughs> is... <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I saw West Side Story when I was in high school, and I was like, okay, I've seen it now. Um, and it's it's never been one of my favorites, but I think about its original iteration where it was written by two white and Jewish men who did not have anyone to speak into the Puerto Rican experience in the United States. And so there are several lines in the play where they talk about Puerto Rico being a different country. And it was literally part of the United States at that time. And I think that some of the stereotypes and things that come from that original iteration of West Side Story were very harmful to the Latino community um, because there, there was no way to like feed into them or to speak into the production of West Side Story. So like we still kind of deal with that today. The the um, remake that they did where they changed like a few things. Um, I still don't think it solved the issues of some of the stereotypes in that show, but it was trying to do better. Talking about the bit. new movie? Yeah. I think that it, balanced out some of the stereotypes with at least then also celebrating some of the culture. Mm -hmm. And like you're saying, it doesn't fix it, mm -hmm. but I think that they at least made an effort to also represent some positive things. Mm -hmm. um, and that's a, that's a definitive step forward, I yeah. would say, but no, I think you're right that it doesn't solve it in terms of a lot of the negative stereotypes are still present even if they then also try and have some positive portrayals yeah which like honestly that's that's <laughs> talking about romeo and juliet if you didn't know west side story is an adaptation of romeo it's and it's literally juliet. just romeo and juliet except <laughs> gangs in new york yeah it, that's the that's all that's it but i think we honestly see some of the worst interpretations of shakespeare with romeo and juliet cuz because no one understands <laughs> romeo and juliet brashina i know i know and it's and it's because it's it seems so simple like right like it's we talk just about it's just a love story it's just too everybody boils it down to it's just two star-crossed teenagers and that's really cute and fun for when there are no stakes to it but there are but a lot of people like try to add in the worst kind of stakes to it. There was um, like a few months ago in 2022, someone was trying to mount a production of Romeo and Juliet in which it was Nazis and Jews and everyone was played by non-binary cast members. And I was like, what? What? <laughs> what is the point of this? Like, what does this actually do to the story of Romeo and Juliet? The only reason that the Capulets and the Montagues come to an accord at the end is because they realize their feud was stupid. When it comes to Nazis versus their victims, there is no accord to be found at the end because the Nazis have all of the power and they are trying to literally exterminate a whole group of people. You cannot, you cannot then have them sit at the table and be like, we were all wrong here. Let's try to fix it. Like, that's not how this works. That's not how this works at all. Um, so like you have those kinds of tone deaf interpretations where people are like, this is, this is fine. Right. And it's not, it's absolutely not. You should not do that to Shakespeare. 
No, it's what we would call um, not the same. <laughs> not at all. Mackenzie, chime in. I know that you're passionate about this topic. Mm-hmm. I mean, I just, I, I say that I say a lot that there are things in Chase Replace that are still relevant today, um, and like almost all of them. However, I do feel like there are certain plays that like maybe it's time that we stop producing this play because like what really is in this play that is like still like 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 doable today that like doesn't like like is there anything redeemable about just say the play on your mind um yes i I knew that was what you're talking about because I, because there is value in producing Othello today. I saw a brilliant production of Othello at the National. I think Othello, as, as difficult as Othello is, Othello has so much to offer today and is important that we tell Agreed. that story. Merchant of Venice, on the other hand, I just have a really hard... I, I've seen a couple productions, and I've seen tastefully done productions, but that doesn't mean that the play itself should continue And briefly explain, like, what line does this play cross, right? Because we know, but I want to make sure those listening know, what about Merchant of Venice, as opposed to other plays, makes it fall into this category for you, that it should just be left behind? It is just so inherently anti-Semitic that it, it doesn't even... Like, I've seen many productions where Shylock is painted... It as the victim and like it does side with Shylock however it doesn't change what is written on the page and it does not change the hurt that it causes because no matter like how much you paint Shylock as a victim your his life is ruined at the end of the play and they force him to convert like that's just it's sickening and I just don't I don't see a way in which that this show can also, bring in his good. name Shylock is rooted yeah. in anti-semitism so like you would have to completely rewrite the character and rewrite the show this is an example of where maybe the only way to do it well is an adaptation and not an interpretation like it has to be a new story in order for it to be worthwhile i would agree (laughs) you can keep the twins and their names but like everybody else will rename for this production because it is bad it is real bad yeah um and then the other one that really comes to my mind, and there actually, I do believe that there are ways to do this play well. Yeah, I knew in the that was the other one. The um, yeah, in 2020, um, the RSC did an entirely gender-swapped mm-hmm. production of Taming of the Shrew, which I thought mm-hmm. was just beyond brilliant. They um, stole my idea. And I do think that there are ways. I do think that there are ways that this play can be produced that are not just yeah. misogynistic um like i think especially like producing it in rep with a play called um the tamer tamed woman's prize um which is another early modern play that was like written as a follow-up to this play kind of iconic um i, I do think there are ways for this play to continue but I, I i really think that these productions should be scarce and far between um and not casted traditionally and not produced traditionally i don't want to see kate being abused for three hours i don't like that and we shouldn't watch that and we shouldn't produce that we should not perpetuate that culture so if you don't know uh what is it 10 things i hate about you that is an adaptation of taming of the shrew i think is one of the like well done ones because we actually get to like like kate has a point (laughs) when we watch we're like no no kate is right and this this dude he is such a you know 
other, I'm not going to say that on the podcast, but he's so mean to her. (laughs) (laughs) He's a meanie. (laughs) He's so mean to her. And by at the end of that movie, we're like, oh, no, Kate was absolutely right. Like, even though she's kind of, she's kind of annoying, she didn't deserve this. And I think that's the way to do it. But that's so hard to do with the text as written. So an adaptation would be the way to go. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, So I I had an example of an interpretation. And then I want to give an example of where you have to at some point consider which of these two routes we go. And actually both examples are Julius Caesar. So here we go. This is like the perfect line of tragedy and historical play for our dear friend Mackenzie. Um, <laughs> I do. It's, it's, it's one of yeah. the Roman I was going to say, I love Julius Caesar. Um, well, Roman history. Oh my gosh, let me yeah. correct myself. Roman history. Yeah, so Sorry, Julius yes. Caesar. I, I didn't get to see it in person, which is uh, painfully sad. But I have seen an online I've seen like a video of this production and I know someone who got to see it in person and so this this production of Julius Caesar was all female and it was set in a women's prison and so when you come in it's like the it was immersive in the sense that like the ushers were like guards and they're like bringing you into the prison so like the whole space, it was like warehouse vibe, like the whole space is like a women's prison. And so it sets up the hierarchy of power so well. Um, and so, you know, it's like the, the battle is like a women's prison riot, right? Like it oh. just, it tracks so beautifully, but it becomes this story. It's still about power and community and struggle, mm-hmm. but it's women doing it which just changes the whole tone of the story and so as we get ready for this year's Shakespeare in the Park um, we decided to do Julius Caesar and so I've been conceiving of this I love the idea of an all-female Julius Caesar and that's kind of where I started but I didn't want it to be as serious because I think that you can translate this story in a way that still feels true, but also has more comedic elements than the text on the page tends to give it by itself. Because frankly, how many, like how many movies have you seen where there's this like hilarious struggle for power and then like maybe there's some tragic elements and maybe it ends badly, but it's like humanity is funny. And I think that's what I'm getting at. And Mm. I, and so when I was thinking about this production, I landed on like Julius Caesar meets mean girls, So think like Mm -hmm. sorority because that gives you your hierarchy, (laughs) right? Your hierarchy is in place. Mm -hmm. You understand the relationship between the characters automatically. Mm -hmm. And so what we're trying to decide is, is this an interpretation or an adaptation, right? Mm -hmm. The example I gave of the woman's prison was an interpretation. The text stayed the same. The story tracked exactly. It just was set with different characters in a different place in a different time and therefore delivered the message in a new and exciting way. With this sorority concept, it it the dynamics could be kept the same. Like it could be an interpretation. But is there something more here that we want to unpack and rearrange something? Like, what is the message that we want to deliver most clearly? Is it the same as the original or is it different? And so Mackenzie and I have actually 
been talking about this for a little while now and we have not yet landed on an answer. And, you know, and I think in our last episode, Bershina, you actually said a lot of times adaptations are like people started with an interpretation and then then they were like, "Mm, actually, I need more. Mm -hmm. And so that's kind of where we're landing right now is do we need more or is the concept deliverable in the fullness of what we want it to be within the land of interpretation? Ooh, that's a very interesting question. And I love it. I love I love this part of creativity of like where you're trying to figure things out. I love that. I it it really like for me, it kind of depends on what you want to explore about it. Cause like Julius Caesar is very much a like, we're fighting for power. Mm-hmm. And, okay, now that I've got the power, what am I going to do with it? Oh, I don't know what I'm going to (laughs) do with the power. Um, And so, like, if that's kind of what you're looking at, then I think that's super interesting. If you're looking at exploring sorority culture, which I think from an outside perspective is fascinating, um, then, like, you'd probably need a little. As as a former sorority girl, (laughs) can can confirm. Fascinating. I, I listen. I like again. Like, there's a difference between white sororities and black sororities. But I found watching white sorority girls interact to be very interesting. I felt like I was watching somebody. Like, I was at the zoo, like watching the animals act. <laughs> act. Like, I just, I was like, I, I, I can't believe I'm witnessing what's happening right now. There was a lot of like, I was like, they clearly do not like each other, but there were smiles, and I was like, oh wow, that's interesting. I think that it could be very, like, very cool to explore that side of sorority culture. Mm-hmm. I love that. And I, I also think that it's important to, like, tell these stories about women where they're fighting for power. Like, <laughs> that women do this too, yes, you know? Like, yes. this is not just Julius Caesar and Mark Antony is not just Julius Caesar and Mark Antony. It is everybody at some point yes um and women too we just fight a little differently yes exactly and that's what i that's what i'm looking forward to exploring in this production and so i i'll be directing mckinsey is dramaturging um so mckinsey talk us through a little bit just kind of like from a dramaturgical perspective as we're looking at the text and this concept and overlaying them on top of each other what are some of the considerations that you and I are taking into account when determining whether it should be an interpretation or an adaptation? This is a live question for the two of us. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, we just had a meeting about it and um, two of the big questions right now that we think we're talking about is like, do we have men in this production? Like are the men, then do we gender swap it and make Calpurnia and Portia the only men? In Which this? we're leaning towards. Um, yes. I'm gonna, like, I'm, like, I'm so not- interesting. Trent, I was going to like not tell them and make them have okay, to come but like see it. they would have seen on our promotional materials pretty quickly. <laughs> that would be so interesting. Yeah, like so Portia is like the boyfriend. <laughs> How boyfriend. fabulous is that? I love that. I love it. Um, and then the other question that we've been talking about is pronouns, and do we change all of the him and his to her hers and then how we handle that with scansion um particularly in the line that like stands out to me would be um in mark antony's speech but brutus is an honorable man um and it's like well do we do we honor the the scansion of that or do we do we change it to be woman because it's going to be a woman um so stay tuned we are the jury is out on that so stay tuned to 
find out what we'll do. Guess you're just gonna have to come see it if you want to find out. Mm. She's talking to you, <laughs> listeners. I love that. Uh, yeah, but and so I love the. That's why I asked because here's the thing: is something as simple as pronouns becomes a huge conversation mm-hmm. when you're thinking about adapting or interpreting in this new way. Because Mackenzie and I are talking about, okay, well, in terms of original language, the scansion obviously tracks better with original text pronouns, right? But then, do you lose something in this modern reinvention when you're clearly seeing all of these women referred to as him and his? Mm-hmm. Or... Is there something actually really interesting about using him and his for women because they're the more powerful pronouns in the English language? Like there's just there's like what what is the conversation that you want to have? Right. Is becomes the question. Is there something intentional about leaving the pronouns alone and letting these original characters be overlaid on top of modern women? Because that's an interesting way to look at it. Or do you change the pronouns, effect, like change the text and scansion accordingly so that it reads as a simply a modern story? And there are merits to both. And that's what we're currently figuring out is what is the story that we want to tell? What is right for this production? A fascinating question. Right? And it's literally about like one word. Do we change him to her? Or like that's yeah, what it boils yeah. down to. But yet that becomes this whole conundrum of conversation of what is it that we're trying to do here. And it's literally just about pronouns. That n- Nothing else about the production have we, I mean, we've talked about other things, but like literally just the minutia of pronouns becomes an overwhelming decision because you're having to say so much with just that. So you're saying pronouns are important? Oh my gosh! Did you <laughs> did you catch that subtext? Whoa! Hey. Trans rights. Okay. Um. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Also, the <laughs> soapbox unleashed. Right? Like trans rights are human rights. Like it's just so absurd. I'm yes. like, you want to be called by your pronouns? Just call everyone by the pronouns that are theirs. You don't get to decide that for someone. Sit down. Yes. Yes. We all agree. We are all in agreement on that. Absolutely. Um, but And yeah. so, yes, pronouns do yeah. matter. And that's why for this production, it's like a legitimately difficult conversation. Yeah. Because, you know, there's something really interesting about these male characters being overlaid on top of women. Mm-hmm. Right? Because, like you said, we don't see women pushed into these roles of grappling for power on stage very often. Yeah. But what's crazy but, is that we do. Like... <laughs> Yes, but not in the same way. No, no, we don't. We don't. Like women are socialized differently. Like when people say that there's a difference between men men and women, I always say, yes, we're socialized differently. So different. And so like women are taught to fight for power in a different kind of way than men are taught to fight for power. Well, and I would almost argue that women are taught not to fight for power and then later taught that they can. They just have to do it in this way instead. Depends on where you're brought up. I think, like, I'm talking from, like, more southern 
conservative religious culture where mm-hmm. like women are not taught to fight for power and then they get a little bit older and then it's like I grew up with all female friends <laughs> <laughs> this is I yeah anyway mm-hmm. but you know so then they get a little bit older and suddenly women in their life are saying well I know that this is what you were taught but we do have some options mm-hmm. right and it's mm-hmm. this like subversive socializing of seizing power yeah because they were originally taught that it's a no yeah and then it's like a well kind of i i understand that i think that makes sense i was raised a little bit differently my mom was in the military right so i was raised differently i was socialized to think that like yeah you can take power um you just have to know that you can take it that's all you that's all you have to do and my mom was also like in a bunch of commanding positions. Like she was over yeah, a lot she of was. men in her career. What a badass. <laughs> she still is. She's awesome. <laughs> um, and she still is like a supervisor in her position. So like power was always an interesting conversation in our family because we didn't see an issue with a woman being in charge, you know? Because the there's way. not one. <laughs> what? Whoa. Imagine this. <laughs> No, but this has been a really good discussion about Shakespeare. I love where we're coming on these things. And Mackenzie, I'm so glad that you're like studying Shakespeare. We get to have your insight on these things because I I love the things that I love about Shakespeare and I would not study his entire body of work for a year, but glad that you are. (laughs) Oh, there are things that I don't love either. I get it. Well, and so I... Thank you for joining us. I think it's important that even though we're a New Works podcast, that we spend these couple of episodes talking about why is this part of theater still important? Why do we at Wild Imaginings take one of one of our main stages each year to do Shakespeare? Why is that important and how do we do it well? Um, and, you know, the fact of the matter is that you have to take the same care with Shakespeare that you take with contemporary plays. Yeah. Um, you don't you don't get a pass just because it's old. Yeah. <laughs> you, you have to take the same care with it that you do. And in some cases, more care. We don't have to have these conversations about pronouns with yeah. contemporary text because what's on the page is what's on the page. Mm-hmm. Right. Whereas here we're creating something new, even though it has been around for centuries, which is just an exciting undertaking. Mm-hmm. Um, but, it, you know, there's something really important. And every year that we do Shakespeare, people come up and they talk to me and they're like, you know, I didn't think that Shakespeare was this fun. I didn't think that this would be exciting. People come to Shakespeare in the park because it's an experience, right? Mm-hmm. It's just one of those things that, like, you should go to, Right. And yet people come and they like have way more fun than they expect to have because they remember studying it in high school and like not really understanding it and like kind of struggling through. And maybe they liked that one part or they remember, oh, yeah, I got to like read out loud in class and like it was fun because we had like a little production or whatever. But they don't get it because it's intended to be seen. It's intended to be embodied, not only read on the page. Right. And so people come and it's this whole new experience and the story comes to life in such a new and exciting way and even if they don't understand every word they can follow the action and fall in love with the characters and really track what's happening and it's exciting to see people 
get excited about theater and about literature and about history because Shakespeare connects dots for people into different subject matters than a contemporary play does. And I think it makes people excited about stories at a more basic level because they know how long it's been around and yet still matters, right? So I think that it excites people in a different kind of profound way than a contemporary play even has the capacity to do. Yeah, I agree. And I, I didn't even get on my soapbox. I'm so proud of myself about how we teach Shakespeare in school because <laughs> that's, I have a whole issue with it. But I think adaptations and interpretations make Shakespeare accessible in a lot yes. of ways. And we talk about accessibility all the time on this podcast, in our theater talks at Wild Imaginings about how do we make things more accessible. Um, and adaptations are in, and interpretations of Shakespeare are a way to do that. And it's a way to like get young children in to see Shakespeare, but also people who like would not get the chance mm -hmm. to, she's, to see Shakespeare and experience it in different ways in this way as well. So I love this talk that we had. Mackenzie, give us a final, final word. Yep. Oh, the final, final word, word on the subject. It gets to be yours. Oh my goodness. I'm so honored. Um, I allow yourself to be pleasantly surprised by Shakespeare because I promise you it will it will resonate with you differently than it did in high school. Love it. Love that one. And um, I want that to be the last yeah. word out of your mouth because I think it's more profound even than it sounds. Like there's a lot there. Your prior experiences with Shakespeare don't have to define your future experiences with Shakespeare. Yes. Um, so which is, you know, like Shakespeare has a lot to say about life and not just Shakespeare actually True. True. um so you can find us mckenzie correct me if i'm wrong but you can find us at wildimaginingswaco.com our social media is also wildimaginingswaco or our theater podcast instagram is wild nope that's my, our company i see i messed no. it up i should have just let you do it i'm so sorry it's imagine this theater pod theater with an re and that's on instagram um, or our producers are Rug Media Network, and they're pretty great as well. You did it. I'm so proud I know. of you. I struggled, but I got there, and that's what matters. <laughs> Thank you so much oh, for nice. tuning in to Imagine This. Thank you so much for joining us. This has been a Rogue Media Network production.